0: As you're uh, being seated, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn in your word to Luke chapter twenty four. That's where we're going to be. Turn there and put your thumb in it or your finger, whichever one you so choose, and hold on to it because we're going to get to that in just a second. We're finishing up our series, and uh, not this week, but hopefully next week uh, in Luke. Uh, we've been in Luke now for two years. Uh, Pastor Levi has been faithfully going through Luke, and uh, we kind of kid in the office. Randy has been here as long as we've been in Luke, and so that's how long we're. Uh, it's taken us to get through, but it's been a It's been a fun journey, an interesting journey. It's been a great journey to see how we've gone through Luke and then how at the same time we're going through a book systematically, um, how each and every week it just speaks. And it's not like we're planning out what to say. We're just going by what the Word is teaching. And uh, it has been, uh, for me, neat to see how God's Word is relevant uh, and as God's Word uh, is intentional. So uh, I hope this morning that it's the same for you, that it speaks to you and it uh, brings hope uh, to your life as we're coming on a close of uh, a new season or an old season and then moving on to a new one. And so, uh, you know, Christmas is over and we're done with it. And so if you all want to with me, uh, just take a big deep breath and then let it out, all right? So that was uh, Christmas and all the holidays all going away and now you're gearing up for 2014. So uh, if you uh, haven't finished your resolutions yet, You uh, still got time, and then you've got time to uh, make some new ones in the next couple of days. Uh, So before we get into that, I just want to kind of talk about the Christmas season and kind of everything that we do, that we did Uh, Christmas was a lot of fun for me. We got finished with Thanksgiving. It seemed like we jumped right into it. And uh, we did a lot of traveling, a lot of seeing family, you know, the Christmas gifts, the Christmas tree, the Christmas wrapping. Now we're doing the Christmas boxing. And if you've been to Walmart, you'll notice that we're done with Christmas and we're already in Valentine's Day. You know, it's kind of crazy how that all works, but uh, it it is an exciting time of the year. And it's really exciting uh, for me this past uh, Christmas or this Christmas because uh, I got the opportunity to be a part of our Christmas production. That's a big event that we have each year during the Christmas season where we uh, everybody works together to present the message of the gospel through music and through drama. And if you didn't get a chance to see it, uh, uh, it was uh, a great work of a bunch of people. I think 150 to 200 people were involved. I think we shared the gospel with almost 2,500 people during that time. So it's an incredible thing to be a part of and a lot of fun to see and just kind of... Um, see the message of the gospel presented in a different light we told the story through the life of paul so it was a lot of fun but i brought a picture from the christmas production that i wanted to share with you and it's my favorite picture that i took during the production uh if you can't tell uh, i'm holding a, a little baby it's eden it's james's granddaughter uh, it's a little fuzzy and i apologize for that it was the only one that somebody had taken but we're sitting over here in the music suite right before we're about to go out and i had the chance to hold eden we're just kind of hanging out chatting it up you know how we do me and the little one-year-old and um And I asked her, I said, hey, would you like some Starbucks coffee? And she responded, yes. And so that's what she's got in her hand. She's sucking down uh, the last little drops of Starbucks. So uh, Jesse and Bailey, you're welcome for that, to give Eden Starbucks and then hand her right back off to you. And if anybody's looking for a babysitter, um, I'll give you my number at the end and I can take care of your kids and hook them up with Starbucks. So uh, you'll, they will be well taken care of and then I'll send them off to you. That's what's fun about Jancy and I not having kids right now. We get all the kids together and like rile them up and then send them off to their parents. And so I know that's gonna come back to haunt me one day, but it's still a lot of fun right now. Uh, that was my favorite photo. But uh, other than the photo and hanging out and being with, uh, with, with family and friends and just being a part of the Christmas production, my favorite part came at the end uh, not the end of the production but at the like when it was all over but the end of the actual event the actual show uh, I got to um, be a guard uh, a Roman guard during the production which meant I got to wear a dress and so I was really excited about that you know every guy's dream is to hopefully one day wear a dress and so uh, I got to do that and got teased about that a lot and so that was kinda fun but uh, other than that it was really neat to be up here on stage during the end because at the end of it we had the resurrection scene we told the story of Jesus from his birth all the way to his death, and then after his death, the crucifixion, uh, Pastor Levi would come up and he would share the gospel, and then after that, we would finish it up with the resurrection scene, and during the resurrection scene, right before the stone is rolled away, uh, I as well as um, the, the, other, uh, the other guards, the other guards and I were on stage, and we have to act terrified when the stone is rolled away. So there's a loud noise, and then we fall down on the ground, and then we're covering our heads because we're afraid of what's going to happen. And then as that, as that goes on, the stone begins to roll away, and you can kind of hear it. Uh, well, sometimes the stone rolled away. If you were here for a couple of productions, like it didn't, and so Jesus had to like actually kick the stone out of the way, which that was really cool, which props Hal for getting out of the tomb. Uh, Hal was our Jesus for this year, and he did a great job rolling the stone away. Um, but uh, it was really neat to see that and be on stage and just think like, this isn't just a story. This isn't just some, some black words on a white page in a storybook. Like We're recreating the, uh, a scene from real life. And it was so fun to be able to lay here and look over my shoulder and look and see uh, the, the, the character of Jesus walking out, the light shining behind them, and the, the bass is thumping, and the noise is going, and the energy level is just at the peak. And it's amazing to think like this actually happened. And I kept sitting there laying every time I would lay down and I would want to like jump up and like throw my fist in the air. You know, like, you know, when you did the touchdown, the last second shot, the the home run blast at the end of the game, that same feeling that you get when you watch your favorite team, like it's even grander than that. The fact that Jesus got up from from the grave and I just wanted to jump up and shout, but I couldn't because it would have ruined production. So I had to run out in my dress um, like I was afraid of the stone being rolled away. But it was a great reminder of, of, of the hope that we have. The hope that we have not only in the fact that Jesus died for you, that he loved you enough, that he wanted to take on human flesh and call your sin his sin and call his righteousness your righteousness. He got up from the grave. And it's a reminder of hope and, it, and, and what it does is it, it lets me know that the co- complete hope of God is bound up in the empty tomb in the risen savior. Romans five ten it says, for if, for if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. In other words, everything was fixed on the cross. Much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That means if he had not gotten up, we would have no reason to celebrate. Paul says, it would, we would be the most pitied people on the face of the earth had Jesus not risen from the grave. But thank God that he got up. Thank God because of Jesus, we get to have the one thing that is one of my favorite words, hope. It's a great word. Definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. And if we're looking inwardly, we would all say that we have hope but also that we have some kind of hope in something. Uh, We came across a song, my wife and I did this past Christmas, a new band that we had heard of, uh, maybe not new to some of you, but new to me. Uh, The band is called For King and Country, and they sing a song called Crave. And the chorus, the lyrics say, hope is what we crave. That will never change. So I stand and I wait. I need a drop of grace to carry me today. A simple song to say. It's written on my soul. My soul, hope is what we crave. We all crave hope. We pray for our kids to love the Lord and follow him. We hope that we'll have a good job, that will meet our needs and then sometimes give us what we want. We hope that the sickness will stay away or that the sickness will go away. We hope for life to be generally good. We hope for our wayward son or daughter to return to their faith. We hope in so many things, but I would ask you this morning, do you hope in the resurrection? Is that where you find your significant source of hope? Because here's the thing, the resurrection is the greatest significant source of hope that we have from God's word, that we have from God himself. And so we're gonna look at that hope this morning. We're gonna answer a very important question and ask what makes the resurrection such a significant source of hope for the world? Because here's the thing, the resurrection is a hope for the world. It's not just a hope for the chosen. It's not, it's not just a hope for the church. It's not just a hope for those who've been saved. It's a hope for the world. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son And that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we believe on that hope. And so we're gonna talk about that hope this morning. So if you have your word and you got it open to Luke chapter 24, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me as we read together God's word, verses one through 12 out of Luke 24. It'll be on the screen behind me if you wanna follow along, but it says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Y'all pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and the reading and the teaching and the, and the spirit. Spirit, you reside in the word, and we ask you to be with us as we open it up and we see how it um, should change our lives, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So the question that I have this morning, we're gonna look at the answers from the text is, what makes the resurrection such a significant source of hope for the world? The first reason is because it's a reminder that the work is done. Look at verse one through verse four. But on the first day of the week, we gotta stop there for just a second, but. But on the first day of the week, my version is the ESV. I don't know what version you have, but for me, the first word in this sentence and maybe in yours is, but. And before I've read this and I've just passed over this word. But as I was reading it and I looked at it, I thought, you know what? This, this word is very important. It's a conjunction. You know what a conjunction is? It kind of uh, combines two phrases and the word but used as a conjunction here is presenting a contrast or, a, or an exception. And so what is the, the exception? Well, it's chapter 23. In chapter 23, in verse 26, we have the story of the crucifixion. We have the story of Jesus being hung on a cross, tortured, beaten, mocked at, ridiculed, cussed at, spit at. And then we have his f- friends, his followers, his, his mom looking on and watching And then Jesus dies on the cross. And then after that, we see Jesus buried. And so you can imagine the disappointment. If you've lost a loved one before, just take that and magnify it just a little bit. This is the Son of God. The one who claimed to be the Messiah. The one we've spent several of our years with as a disciple. This this is what they could be saying. And here he is. We just put him in a tomb and you can imagine the despair and the sadness. And if you were listening to this story told orally and you hear this, you would feel a great amount of weight and despair at the end of verse 56 in chapter 23. Almost hoping as if there's something better. And guess what? There is because Luke starts off chapter 24 with one word. He says, but it's actually in the Greek, it's from the word day, D E. And he says, but, as if to say, there's a contrast to what we just talked about. And for some of us this morning, we need a contrast to 2013. We need an exception. We need, the, the, we need that but. We need to be able to look behind us and go, well, you know what, God? 2013 had some, some ups and downs, but I'm ready for the exception. I'm ready for the new year. I'm ready for a new start some of us, that new start can be in several areas, but for some of you this morning, I hope that that new start would be your first time to coming to faith in Christ. So just starting there, we can make a whole sermon, but we gotta continue on. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, So what we see on the first day of the week, the women were returning to the tomb of Jesus to embalm the body, to take care of the body, to remove the smell. And they were going on the first day of the week, and it's significant because it's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath was yesterday. So they were being good Jews is what they were doing. They were told not to work on the Sabbath. God instructed them, on the seventh day you rest. So at the time this is being written by Luke, the Sabbath is now Sunday. Now being celebrated uh, by Christians on Sunday, no longer Saturday. So they're going to the tomb on Monday, the day after the Sabbath, just to be good Jews, to fulfill the law, and to not bring any harm or sin upon them. But unbeknownst to them, on the way to the tomb, Jesus has already done the work. Like they're walking along trying to fulfill religious duty, but yet they don't not they do not know it's done. It's finished. No longer do we have to work. No longer do we have to be good. No longer do we have to hope and achieve some kind of status before God because Christ is that status. A book that I've, been, that I've read recently is one of my favorite books. Is by Watchman Nee. And the book is called Sit, Stand, and Walk. And in the beginning of it, he talks about how in Christ we should just sit And he says, for Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. You've probably heard this saying before, if at first you don't succeed, then you do what? Try, try again. You know, in Christianity, this no longer applies. If at first you don't be good, then you should try again. If at first you're not godly, then you should try harder. There's no longer trying anymore. Christ already did it. You know, it's a great thing. That in Christ, it is done. It is finished. You know, we're, we're doing some, uh, some awesome things that are happening in our student ministry. It's been exciting to see uh, in the last two years, just being a part of what Concord, uh, what God is doing at Concord and uh, just kind of some neat things that are going on with this, within the student ministry. And I wanted to bring up one of our students this morning to kind of share that. So uh, Carson, are you here? Will you come up here and, uh, and share a little bit about what God's doing in the student ministry and also in your heart? Y'all give Carson a hand as she walks up here. Carson, will you tell us a little bit about uh, this past Christmas season and what we talked about a couple weeks ago? Yes. Um, one, day, one Sunday, um, I came to Pastor Brandon and asked him how to share the gospel with my dad's side of the family. Well, um, he showed me a way with this ladder method. And... Um, On Christmas, Christmas, I went to Greenville um, with my dad's side of the family, and we sat down at the dinner table, and I got to share the gospel with my um, uncle and aunt and their their family. Um, It turned out that I, um, my cousin Hannah, um, she wanted to go to church with us, and so now I get to take her um, to church with me. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Carson. She, um, like she said a couple of weeks ago, she came to me uh, on a Sunday morning. She said, I want to share the gospel uh, with my family. And so um, first off, I was just floored, you know, like with your family, a couple of people know the whole side of my dad's family. And I just thought, man, that is so humbling to hear that from a sixth grader. So I sat there, So for a second I thought, man, what, what, what can I share with her? And so I decided to share with her something I've shared before, something I've used to share the gospel, and something that I've um, shared with the youth to help to share the gospel, and it's called the morality ladder. So what you do if you're sitting down with someone, you would take a, a napkin or a piece of paper and on it you would draw a ladder. And at the top of the ladder you would put God God is the author of all perfection. God is perfect. He cannot mess up. And so you would put him at the top and then you would ask them, you would say, okay, who's someone that you would put uh, at the bottom of the ladder? Not, not Satan, but a person that, that has lived in history that you would consider at the lowest of the low, immoral person. And then you would write Hitler. Somebody would write Hitler. You know, That would be somebody that you could think of. And then after they fill that in, then you would say, okay, now what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to give me a name of a person that you would consider generally good and so a lot of people would say someone like Mother Teresa. So we put her somewhere along the ladder near the middle. Like she's a generally a good person. And then I would say, okay, well, would you name somebody else that you would put on there? And then other people might say uh, Billy Graham. He'd be one. And notice I'm a good Baptist. I put Billy Graham above Mother Teresa. Okay. <laughs> and so we, we put him on there. And then now I say, okay, well, now I'm going to write myself on here. So being a good Baptist, I put myself under Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. And then I say, now, this is what I want you to do. And I pass the napkin across the the piece of paper and I say, now I want want you to put your name on there. Nine times out of 10, everyone's gonna write their name below Billy Graham, below Mother Teresa and below your own. And then then you present the predicament. You say, well, notice between the best person that we listed on the ladder and God, there's still a gap. And no matter how good you are, that, that gap cannot be made up. No matter how many good works you do, you can't go any higher on that rung and get closer to God. So the the great thing is is that in the cross and the the empty tomb is that Jesus made a way. And we don't have to work up. Jesus came down. And so because of that, the work is done. You no longer have to climb the ladder of religious activity to be saved. Jesus came down the ladder to you and through the cross and the empty tomb proves that the work is done. And that is a good thing. And in the resurrection, we have that promise, we have that reminder that the work is done. But also, the other reason that the resurrection is a significant source of hope is because it reminds us that his promises are definite. Definite. You know, we all all have gotten a promise maybe once or twice that somebody didn't come through on. Maybe we've even done the same to someone else. And no one likes to have an empty promise. No one likes to be told that they're gonna have something fulfilled and then not have it fulfilled. I had that happen this past week um, when I ordered my last minute gift on Amazon. Uh, uh, December 23rd, I thought, you know what? I need to get one more thing for my brother. We were going to travel on Christmas Eve night right after the Christmas service and head four hours down to Alabama where my family lives, where we'd be meeting up. And I decided the day before, I said, I need to get him one more thing. So I found that one more item. said, guaranteed delivery date, December 24th. So I paid for the Amazon Prime one-day shipping. We hit the button, boom, it was done. It would be there at mom and dad's house. I'd get it, I'd wrap it up, give them one more present. Well, if anybody else ordered a package through Amazon and it got shipped by UPS, during the time uh, a few days ago, you will know that you probably got your package delayed. And that's not hating on UPS. We got some people in here that are UPS. I'm not saying y'all are bad people. You just, you just dropped the ball. But <laughs> but they were, garing, they were guaranteeing the li- delivery date. It said guaranteed December 24th by 8 p.m. I was set and it didn't come through. I was a little down. I had to actually, um, instead of giving my brother a gift, actually mimed what he was getting to let him guess um, because we're just weird like that in our family. Um, But, uh, you know, no one likes to have a promise given to them and then that promise be fulfilled. And then in verse 4 through 7, we see the angels are reminding the women of the promise given through Jesus. And in verse 4, it says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel Now, I know when you see dazzling apparel, you think James Dollar, but these were angels. Oh, he's not here. As they were frightened, as they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you? I love that. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. See, the angels appeared to the women to tell them and remind them when Jesus makes a promise, guess what, he's gonna gonna fulfill it. There's a guarantee on that. His promises are definite And there's great hope in that. There's great hope in the resurrection that Jesus' promises are definite because guess what? If you can bank on the fact that he said he's gonna rise from the dead, you can bank on everything else. And there's some great promises in God's word. Another place it says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. In other words, God has obligated himself to give us what we need. Food, shelter, companionship, love, salvation. He has not set out to make us luxurious, but he has set out to take care of us. Another promise, he says, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, the grace of Jesus is enough. If that is, if that is all you had, you have what you need because it is sufficient. It is sufficient for that ladder. It is sufficient for your life. It is sufficient for everyone. No matter what you do, the grace of Jesus is big enough that you could never come to Him and He would deny you. Another promise of His is we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. You know, it may be difficult to see and understand sometimes the truth of that promise. God, how are you going to work out this evil for good? God, how are you going to fix this issue we have with our economy? How are you going to fix this world? How are you going to work out the fact that I lost this person close to me so dearly and so tragically? How are you going to fix this, God? Well, he will. And see, the, the difficult answer is trying for us to come up with that answer. It's trying to say, well, this is how he's going to fix it. We can't answer that. But we can't answer from the promise of his word that he will work out all things good according to his purpose, for those who are loved in him and called according to that purpose. Another great promise, friend, is that for as in Adam all die, but here's the thing, the antecedent, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. See, by our sin and by the sin of Adam, we too will die. But in Christ we have a great promise that we will be resurrected too, just like Jesus, that we will have new life, And here's the thing, this is coming all from one man, Paul. Paul the apostle, the one that we actually saw the story of the gospel played out during the Christmas production through his eyes. A man that if there was anyone that needed to be reminded of the promise in God, it was Paul. Paul was put in jail, put on trial, mocked, ridiculed, ignored, painfully distressed, at times even hopeless and eventually beheaded for his faith in Christ. If there was anyone that needed to hold on to the promises of Christ, it was Paul. And Paul is holding on to all of these things because he knows that not only will all of these things be fulfilled, but that the cross and then the empty tomb was fulfilled. The promise in that was fulfilled. And because of that, Paul could hope in everything else that Jesus said. And so some of us, besides just the resurrection hope, besides just the promise that Jesus was raised from the dead, we, we need to see some of those other promises fulfilled. We need to hold on to what God's word says, that he will come through on his promises. And the resurrection bounds up that hope. It's a reminder that the work is done and it's, a pro- and it's a reminder that his promises are definite. But not only that, it's also an answer to our doubts. It's an answer to our doubts. The witness of the early church was not based on the empty tune alone, but on the encounter of the disciples with the risen Lord. This is always the basis of genuine resurrection faith. You want an answer to if Jesus is real, look at the tomb. And it's a great thing. We look in verse eight, it says, and they remembered his words. Thank God they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words, they seemed an idle tale they did not believe them but peter rose and ran from the tomb stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened it says they went to the apostles and they told them what had happened they said we went to the tomb we were going to embalm the body of jesus we're going to put spices on it to take away but when we got there the stone was gone the tomb was empty Two men in dazzling clothes appeared to us and they told us, don't be afraid. And they reminded us of what Jesus said. He's not there, he's risen, he's alive. And they looked at him as if somebody looks at a fisherman as he's describing the fish that he caught. As it got bigger and bigger and bigger and it just seemed like an idle tale. What do you you mean he's not there? And so what happens? Peter doubts, Thomas doubts. All of them doubt. And they run to the tomb to see. They run to the tomb to get answers. They run to the tomb to to find out for sure what's going on. Because here's the thing. At the time that Jesus was alive, at the time that he was doing ministry, at the time that he was teaching and leading, there were other men that preceded him, other men that even came after him during this Roman period that claimed to be the Christ, that claimed to be the Messiah. It wasn't a new thing for someone to say that they were the the one. And so you can imagine the despair that these men must have felt three years of their life given and then now our Savior is crucified and laid in a tomb and now we're sitting here staring at each other as if asking, what do we do? And you can imagine the anger and the despair and just the frustration they must have felt for the women to show up but thank God that he gives us room for doubt. He gave the disciples room for doubt. That's what they were doing and here's the thing, doubt sometimes is not such a bad thing. Doubt can actually lead to a strengthening of our faith. I went to a seminar a few weeks ago for student ministry. And during that time, they were presenting some details about a study they were doing on students who had grown up in youth ministry and then gone to college and then left the faith. And one of the things that they said was that during student ministry time, they never had an opportunity to talk about the doubts that we have concerning our faith. That it was like almost if you started talking about, well, I'm not so sure I believe in Christ or I'm not so sure I believe about God, that people would hush that. Within our churches, within our community groups, within our families, we need to have opportunity where we talk about those doubts because here's the thing. The people that were listed in Luke 24, they had the same doubts and they were provided answers to their questions. And so maybe doubting isn't doubting if it's leading us to a stronger faith. Maybe doubting is just actually faithing. Maybe we're just learning what it means to believe. As the way the disciples were. So the the question is. For the disciples this is the same for us. Is Jesus God's son? Absolutely look at the empty tomb. Does Jesus have the power to forgive sins? Of course he does. Look at the empty tomb. Can Jesus defeat death on your behalf. And give you eternal life? Of course he can. Without a doubt look at the empty tomb. See Jesus work in the cross and then in the resurrection is to prove that everything is done. It's to prove that his promises are definite and it's to answer our doubts. And so what do we do with this hope? What do we do with this great hope that we have? The fact that, that, that there is no tomb that holds the body or the remains of this person we call Jesus Christ. Well, I project that we do what 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it tells us. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You know, it only seems right that the person who said this was the same one to run to the tomb first. It was Peter, the one who denied Jesus, the one who was sitting there thinking that it was an idle tale. And then later on, Peter pins this and God gives it to us. He says, the way that you show that you believe in this hope is to go and tell the hope. Is to give a reason for the hope that you have. And folks, there's, there's people that need this hope. There's people that need a reminder that it's not about the money, it's not about the job, it's not about the status, it's not about your kid's sports team, it's not about anything that this life can give you. The only hope that you will have is Christ. And if we don't go tell it, no one will. How will they know unless someone preaches to them? And so I would encourage you, over this next month, starting January 12th, we're going to start a new series called Switch. Our entire church is going through it, from kids all the way to adults. And during this time, we're going to be hearing from Pastor Levi from the pulpit, but also in our community groups, we're going to be talking about how to share this hope, how to share the gospel with our friends, with our family, with the people that we actually care about, that we should care enough to actually walk across the street and say something to. And so right now, I'm already thinking about people that I know that I'm gonna share with, people that I'm praying over, people that I'm preparing myself to look stupid in front of. Sorry, I said stupid. But sometimes that's what we're scared of when it comes to sharing this hope. We're afraid of messing it up, afraid that we're not gonna have the right answers, but I wanna encourage you to be a part of Switch because we're gonna all work together encouraging one another to have those answers so that we can give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I see this hope, Shows us that we gotta stop working because we can't achieve our own salvation. It shows us that his promises are definite. We can bank everything on God's word and then it proves to us and it answers our doubts. Put your hope and your faith in the resurrected Savior. He's the only one that will not disappoint. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that you give it to us, God. You give it so graciously that you would see fit to save us, not on anything on our own accord, but Father, because your love how we know what love is because you first loved us. So Father, during this invitation that we have this morning, this time of response, I ask that you would move in the hearts of people, God, that you have, that your spirit has been speaking and God, if it's speaking, that we would respond faithfully. We give this time to you, Father. We say it's yours. Do with it what you will and we will remain faithful. In your name we pray.